calling all aspiring investment professionals. Get a leg up on the competition. Final registration for the August CFA exam ends on May 14th. Register now to secure your spot. The CFA designation is of gold standard in the investment world, opening doors to high-powered careers and impressive salaries. Head over to cfainstitute.org to register. Don't wait. Take control of your finance career today. Hello and welcome, everyone. I'm Lauren Foster, and this is Take 15. My guest today has been dubbed the guru of high-yield bonds and the dean of high-yield bond analysts. Martin Fritzen, CFA, worked as a bond analyst and strategist at major Wall Street firms and today is chief investment officer at Lehman Livian Fritzen Advisors. Marty is a prolific writer and author who has been hailed as one of Wall Street's most thoughtful and perceptive analysts. I'm pleased to have him here today. Welcome, Marty. Thank you so much for being here. Great to be here. So some market watchers have expressed concern that about half of the U.S. investment grade market is now rated triple B. That's up from about one third a decade ago. How do you view the risks associated with that development? And do we need to hit the panic button? Well, definitely don't hit the panic button. Uh, there is some concern on the investment grade side, uh, as there, there always is uh, because of the potential of downgrading uh, to below investment grade. And uh, that does uh, require ultimately the sales. But I think ultimately is the key point. Uh, the perception, I think, often is that uh, th those sales uh, must be done instantly, uh, which would create a fire sale and be really counter to the interests of the investors. And uh, institutions, by and large, are aware of that and uh, will set a time frame in which that paper should be sold. Uh, now, bear in mind also, a lot of it uh, is held by insurance companies, life insurance companies that are under statutory uh, accounting. And as a result of that, uh, they don't really want to take a loss which reduces their statutory surplus and therefore their ability to write additional business unless a bond is actually impaired. And going to double B plus doesn't indicate that a bond is on the verge of default. So a lot of that paper won't move at all. And this is very important for the high yield market because the notion is that well, when all those downgrades hit, uh, there'll be massive oversupply in the high yield market. Now, I don't want to uh, rule that out entirely as a, a you know, scenario, but let's put it in perspective. I did some research looking at two previous uh, incidents of very large uh, volume of so-called fallen angels, bonds downgraded from investment grade to uh, speculative grade, namely the uh, energy downgrades of a couple of years ago, and then uh, the GM downgrade uh, going back a little further, which added massive new supply. And there was an impact. What I uh, did was I used a model that uh, estimated what the spread would have been without those effects. And it looked like uh, probably an additional 50, 60 basis points, really a couple of points in price uh, in today's terms that would be um, uh, the impact of that kind of large-scale downgrading. So not a positive development by any means, but uh, something that uh, should uh, prevent people from pushing the panic button, as you say. Well, that's good news. You don't have to hit the panic button. You've also raised some concerns about the leveraged buyout market and how that's evolved since the early days in the 1980s. What are the corporate finance issues that concern you? 
Well, for one thing, back in the 1980s, you had a lot of companies that were uh, founded by returning servicemen from World War II who were reaching retirement age. If they didn't have heirs to pass it on to, they were looking to sell. They were great uh, opportunities for leveraged buyouts. And in many cases, there was some slack in those companies. They had been uh, fairly lenient with uh, employees that uh, perhaps were not all that productive, but were reaching uh, retirement age. They didn't want to cut them loose. And uh, there was, uh, were chances. And, and in fact, research that was done at the time suggested that a big part of the uh, profit in the leveraged buyouts was exactly that, you know, violating so-called implicit contracts. Um, those opportunities are pretty well gone at this point, and the companies have been picked over a lot, and uh, we've seen the evolution of uh, the so-called secondary LBOs, where uh, LBO companies, uh, the private equity companies, take over the company, work on it for several years, and then sell it to another private equity firm. And the question in my mind is, well, what are they going to do with it that the current one hasn't already done? Where's the uh, additional uh, opportunity to squeeze out of that? Uh, the other thing that uh, always uh, troubles me is that the notion of an LBO is that you're going to leverage up the company uh, but pay down that debt uh, before you get into the next recession because you don't want to go into an economic downturn with a heavy debt load. Well, uh, we don't know when the next recession is coming, but we do know that we're closer to it than we were a year ago uh, uh, since we passed the last recession. So logically, uh, the multiples of debt put on the company should decline as you get further away from the last recession because you know you're going to have less time to repay that debt. But what we observe is the exact opposite, that the multiples go up as the uh, economy recovers, confidence and perhaps even overconfidence sets in, and we see multiples being higher later in the cycle, which, of course, can be quite dangerous from a credit standpoint. So back in 2013, you predicted the junk bond market would see a $1.5 trillion worth of defaults when the credit cycle finally turned in the wrong direction, and that was the equivalent of about 8.4% average debt defaults rates over the four-year span that was starting in 2016. So now we're in 2018. How is that prediction looking now? Well, uh, I should emphasize that that $1.5 trillion figure included private debt and loans uh, and so on, not only high-yield bonds. Um, and it was really based on that uh, 8% default rate over four years. That's really just uh, sort of an typical of past cycles, the 2008 uh, 2009 experience was quite unusual, but it's normal for the default rate to escalate, reach a peak, take a couple of years to come back down. And uh, so the 1.5 trillion fig figure was really just a comment on the size of the market and how much it had grown. Now, since then, the growth projections uh, have not quite been met. Uh, so last time I did an update of that, that number came down a little bit, but it was uh, not meant to uh, create uh, panic or anything. It's, it's a very big number, and it's hard to get numbers or, uh, or arms around those big numbers, but it really is just a uh, comment on how big the uh, leveraged finance market has gotten. Okay. Let's talk a little bit more about uh, default rates. Now, investors often try to make inferences about value by calculating the default rate that the market is implicitly forecasting and then comparing that with the forecasts of the high-yield strategists. But you think many are going about it the wrong way. What do you believe is the right way? 
Well, the uh, key uh, is not to look at the spread versus treasuries on the high-yield index, which is what's typically used. People say, well, uh, you're putting in so many uh, basis points for expected default losses and so much for illiquidity, and that gets you to the spread. That method doesn't actually work very well. And part of the problem, uh, one of a number of problems with it, is that suppose, uh, that, well, the, what really drives the default rate is how many bonds are at distress levels. It's very rare to see a bond that d- go into default that isn't already at least a thousand basis points over treasuries, uh, really uh, the definition of distressed, uh, at the beginning of that year. So what really matters is how many bonds are in that category. So to give an example, suppose you have a spread versus treasuries on the index of 500 basis points. Well, if that's a mixture, simplifying a little bit, of, let's say, a, a thousand issues that are at 400 over, a thousand that are at 600 over, uh, the average for the index is 500, but the expected default rate is zero because none of those bonds should default within one year if they're trading at those spreads. On the other hand, suppose you have a 500 basis point spread that's a function of a thousand issues at 1600 over and or excuse me, 200 issues at uh, 1,600 over and 1,800 issues at 378 basis points. That also works out to uh, 500 basis points for the index as a whole. But about a third of those issues that are trading at 1,600 over uh, should default within a year. So the expected default rate in that case is 3% whereas with 0% with the exact same spread versus treasuries in the early examples. So this is one of a number of issues with that, and uh, really the uh, thing to look at is what uh, percentage, with the distress ratio, the percentage of issuers in the market that are trading at distress levels, and then it's secondarily a function of the, what I call the distress default rate. Uh, the percentage of those issues that will default uh, is uh, sensitive to how high that distress ratio is. So you really have to run through those numbers to get to a good estimate. So, Marty, you brought your expertise to bear recently as an editor uh, of the Foundations of High Yield Analysis, which was uh, recently published by the Research Foundation. Who should read this and why? Well, I think that it's a great resource for institutional investors who are looking at high yield as an asset class uh, that they Uh, want to invest in or perhaps people within that institution new to the uh, category or uh, uh, investment advisors, private wealth uh, managers uh, for whom high yield can be a valid uh, and appropriate asset class. And they're not necessarily going to uh, try to become uh, high yield analysts, but uh, the uh, understanding the process. So there is a section in the uh, research brief about uh, how credit analysis works for speculative grade companies. There are some twists that might, you might not encounter in investment-grade uh, corporate issues. Uh, it talks about the dynamics of the market and uh, uh, such things as uh, those uh, default rate predictions. Um, so uh, I think it's a great resource there. And then I think any professional coming in who's going to be working in this area, it would be a great uh, basis for um, familiarizing yourself with this uh, segment of the financial markets. Yeah, wonderful. So let's shift gears just a little bit to equities. Uh, so here in the U.S., we're just a few weeks away from the midterm elections, and market strategists are urging investors to adjust their equity exposures based on the forecasts of Republican seats versus uh, gains for Democratic seats. Why should investors ignore this type of uh, advice? Well, uh, I did some analysis on this and found that Uh, there is no statistically significant difference 
between returns in years in which Democrats pick up seats and years in which Republicans pick up seats. Uh, you could say, well, it really only matters when the, um, you know, the control of the House or the Senate changes. There are actually relatively few examples of that uh, to look at, uh, and even those are not uh, clear-cut. So uh, there may be specific pieces of legislation um, uh, that uh, would be affected, but in terms of the returns on the stock market as a whole, it's really not a function of how the uh, elections go. Good to know. So you've been a long-time volunteer for CFA Institute and also with your local society in New York. How did you get involved and how has it benefited you? Well, I uh, really got uh, pulled into it. I uh, loved the CFA program. It didn't uh, occur to me immediately to uh, volunteer, but I was uh, asked to uh, become involved in the um, uh, summer program uh, that uh, takes place in uh, now at the University of uh, Chicago um, and uh, was on the board of that and then was asked to run for the uh, board of the, what was then the Association for Investment Management and Research and also uh, was approached about doing a, an annual conference, which I've now done for 28 years for the uh, New York, uh, uh, CFA in New York, and uh, that's in my area of the high-yield market. Uh, so uh, I, um, I'm glad people asked me to do it, and, uh, but I think it's, it's a great idea to step forward on your own uh, because there are uh, great opportunities uh, rising from that. Um, I, I think the, the best thing about it to me is that in today's uh, investment business, we tend to be siloed in specialties. We go to conferences with people doing the same thing that we do. With the CFA uh, activities, I've made uh, great friendships with people doing entirely different things. They've been valuable resources in many cases, as I've had questions, uh, and hopefully I've been helpful to those people as well. And uh, I think just getting exposed to different points of view, different perspectives on things is terrific. Uh, just one example is uh, my role as a book review editor for the Financial Analyst Journal. Um, you know, in my special of high-yield bonds, once every few years a book comes out about this. So uh, I'm forced to uh, review uh, books in other categories, and it's uh, been a great uh, personal uh, continuing education program for me. And uh, so I, I think that's, to me, the, the greatest benefit uh, of uh, being involved as a volunteer. Well, it's been great chatting with you today, Marty. Thank you for your insights. And thanks to everyone for listening. Copyright 2018, CFA Institute, all rights reserved. This program is designed to give accurate and authoritative information in regards to the subject matter covered. It is distributed with the understanding that CFA Institute is not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, tax, investment, or other expert advice. If legal advice or other expert assistance is required, the services of a competent professional should be sought.